Our scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt and on a foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and had put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So some days feel like triumph, and other days feel like turmoil. And, and when I was looking at this scripture this week, the, the heading above this particular text says, uh, the triumphant entry. Uh, but one of the last verses that we read uh, says that when Jesus rode into town, uh, the town was in turmoil. There's a tension that, that we hold in life between uh, feeling triumphant and just everything is falling into place and feeling in turmoil and feeling like everything's falling apart. And, uh, and for me, that's kind of one of those sort of weeks. Um, and, and really, it's, we're really not so organized that, that we really can say that uh, we've got good days and bad days. In fact, some of us are uh, so masterful at this that, that we don't even split it into days. It's really just uh, where we're standing at that very moment of the day. We have a great way of uh, taking triumph and turmoil and kind of weaving it and holding it together uh, in several different places during our day. Kind of bouncing between good news and hard news, uh, of healing and hardship, of, uh, of wrestling with this space between welcoming Jesus in as a king, uh, but then also realizing that uh, the king that we thought we were welcoming uh, ended up uh, flipping over tables instead of thrones. Ended up coming into a space that uh, we thought he was going to overthrow governments, but uh, instead ended up uh, throwing over the chains uh, that enslave us. Uh, The death that haunts us, the sicknesses that plague us. And it wasn't really the king that we thought we were asking for in the moment. Because there's something so incredible about Palm Sunday that we can get all the words right. We can get all of the theology right and miss the point completely. That tension between triumph 
and turmoil, of recognizing the space of that single moment. Because when we talk about Palm Sunday, we, we talk about this triumphant entry. We talk about Jesus' uh, pointing uh, his kingship towards the cross, towards the city of Jerusalem. And in the Gospel of Matthew, this is uh, Jesus' first entry into the city. And it begins almost a countdown towards the cross as uh, through the point of this week and through the point of this Passover week, this celebration, uh, the crowds can go from uh, Hosanna, uh, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, save us, son of David, and just a few short days to crucify him, to uh, hand over a murderer rather than the prophet and the king and the Messiah that we just welcomed in. There's a tension that comes in Palm Sunday that's unlike any other day that we have. And it's not unique to just us. Uh, really, it's uh, really mattering on where you're standing in the middle of this parade as well. Do you have the disciples that uh, are welcoming Jesus as the Messiah? You almost get a sense that they're kind of leading the parade in certain ways. They're, they're going to set up all the logistics and all the supplies, and uh, they're going to line up the donkey and uh, make sure that they have the route kind of mapped out. And uh, all the crowds that, that kind of start pressing in, uh, celebrating and praising uh, with whatever they got with them, cutting down branches off of trees, taking the cloaks off their own backs, celebrating the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And the celebration is so thorough and so big that some people are joining in and don't even know why yet. They're asking some people in the crowd, who is this man? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee, a prophet. They're not even sure about who Jesus is fully. But coming in, because he represents something that they want so desperately. And so you have the disciples welcoming in as a Messiah. You've got the crowd welcoming him as a prophet, as a king. And then you've got maybe the religious authorities, maybe the chief priests who see him as a problem. Because Jesus is coming in for one reason and one reason only— to become king. But the kingdom that Jesus has in his mind is so very different from the kingdom that the rest of us have in our minds. Because they're looking for him to flip over thrones. They're looking for him to topple kingdoms. But instead, his, his first action when he comes into the city, uh, just one verse after the one that we stopped at today, is to not go to the palace and overthrow the king, but rather to go into the temple and start overthrowing tables. To start throwing the money changers and those selling the doves to the poor and throwing them out of the space and to recreate and to establish that this is a house of prayer. A kingdom to where the last shall be first and the lost shall be found. A different kind of kingdom and a different kind of king. 
And it goes from those that are celebrating with everything that they possibly uh, can, can, can muster in themselves to the ones that are watching and shaking in their boots. Because for most of the ones watching this parade, this is a political parade. This is the celebration of Passover that they observe every year. A celebration of deliverance from captivity of being set free, of God delivering them from everything that oppressed them, that crushed them, that enslaved them, that chained them up, and God delivering them. And so as they're coming into this space, everybody in this crowd cannot wait to be set free. And even the chief priests, as as they might long for their own nation, are saying, can you just keep it down a little bit? I think the Romans might hear you. But Jesus isn't interested in thrones. And by the very end of this week, he's going to be wearing a very different kind of a crown. And he's not looking to take all of our turmoils that we're experiencing day to day and turn them into triumphs. God is trying to take our world and turn it into life. Turn it into salvation and turn it into hope. And here's everybody in this crowd that is hoping that this king can take all of their problems and make them go away. And instead, Jesus is saying, I'm going to take your problems and turn them into a way of salvation, into a way of hope. And everything that used to enslave us and everything that used to break us and everything that's ever lied to us and anything that's ever murdered us and anything that's ever come into this world and broken us and enslaved us and said it had power over it, Jesus says, those are the chains I want to break. Those are the thrones that I overthrow. And brings in a kingdom unlike anything else in this world. And so a lot of the turmoils that we wrestle with in life, wrestling with loss, with death and disease and hardship and brokenness, becomes the very route that Jesus rides in like a king and sets us free in a way that is unlike anything else in this world. This has been a week that a lot of us try to uh, put on our, our, our best foot forward. Uh, we had a work day a couple weeks ago uh, around the church and cleaning up our shrubs and our bushes. And uh, we, we aim a lot of our events to where we have Easter egg hunts this afternoon and uh, worship services through this week. And uh, we try to plan out our, our best outfits for, for next Sunday and uh, all the different ways that we might celebrate But in the midst of all those plans being put together, we hold them in tension with with hard news, with headlines and status updates, with hardships and losses in our families and our friends and our communities. And our cry for Hosanna, for a king, sometimes rings a little bit more difficult than others. Because we keep being so desperate for a king to come in and take away all of our problems. To take the pain and the hardship away. 
But the reality is, is that this parade, that this king doesn't just erase everything that, that we feel is wrong today. It doesn't take out the enemies that we're pointing our, fo- our fingers at today. This king rides right into that difficulty, right into that hurt, right into that pain and that loss, and says that there is still hope. And there is a hope and a salvation so very thorough and so deep and so far that it goes further than anything you can ever possibly imagine. And so the disciples and the crowds, they have to go through this week. They have to see how limited their view of who this king is really is. That everything that they had pinned their hopes on of an overthrow of an empire, of an establishment of the nation of God, for somebody to come and to teach the Romans a lesson to set them free again. In just a couple days, all of those hopes are going to feel lost. All of those burdens are going to feel even heavier, and everything that seemed impossible is going to seem impossible again. And they're going to feel broken, and they're going to feel lost. And those shouts of Hosanna, save us the son of David, will turn into denials that they even know him. Our struggle with faithfulness is a failure of imagination. Of that this one who comes in as a king to our lives is so much more of a king than we can ever possibly imagine. This is not just a king who delivers empires and delivers us from enemies, but deliver us from the very chains of death that sets us free and comes to establish a kingdom to where all things are made new again. That we can truly be set free, not just from governments, not just from empires, uh, not just from our problems, but from sin and brokenness. Our turmoil is often, as we'll see this week, the very first taste of the salvation that's coming. So this week, may in the turmoil we find triumph, and in the triumph of salvation that carries us through to the end of this week, but to every week that follows. That when we cry out for the Son of God to save us, May we be free indeed. Amen and amen. We come today to remember the last week that Jesus shared in his public ministry. And at the end of this week that begins with shouts of praise and celebration, will spiral almost seemingly out of control into a final night where Jesus will share a meal with his disciples. And at that meal, Jesus will tell them his very last teachings, his very last lesson and commandment, that as much as I have loved you, as fully as I have loved you, love each other the same way. 
and that others will come to know that you are my disciples by the way that you love each other. And so he shared that meal the night before some of the most difficult nights of their life. Him knowing fully what was to come and them only having a fear that, that lingered that something horrible was on the eve. But in that moment, Jesus gave them the very hope that endured. It becomes a lesson and becomes the very grace that becomes the very life that we have. That there is hope in the midst of hardship. That there is triumph even in the midst of turmoil. And this king that's coming is a king who walks into the hardest spaces in life and flips them over and makes this world anew. So as Jesus shared in this final meal with his disciples, he gathered around the season on the table for the season of Passover. A season of celebration, of deliverance from captivity, of liberation from oppression, and he shared a meal with them. As he took the bread, he lifted it, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Their signs of liberation, their signs of freedom and deliverance, and saying, this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat of it, remember me. And after the meal was concluded, he took the cup. And likewise, he lifted it to heaven, gave it to his disciples and says, take and drink all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of this, remember, remember me. And so we do remember. We remember all the mighty acts of Christ Jesus. We remember all the ways of what we hoped Jesus would become and the way that Jesus became even more than what we ever possibly imagined that even today we can be set free and experience salvation. As we give thanks for this meal, let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the very body and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by your blood. Make us one with each other. Make us one with your spirit. Make us one in all the ministry to the entire earth, that we might be those that parade you, not just into the troubles that we see in this world, but Lord, we follow you into this parade, into the hardest spaces of life, that we might be a part of your work and your miracle to make all things new. Lord, set us free in a way that we can never even fully imagine, but that we might be a witness and a testimony of your hope and your grace. As we cry, Hosanna, save us, Lord. Might that work start today. As we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen.